Hello and welcome to the Maidcast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment. A series of lectures on video game history is part of the Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures and interviews like the one you'll hear in a few minutes. My name's Red. I'm Chin. I'm Anthony. And I'm Miles. This week, Alex is chatting with Nedrick McLaren, animator, game developer, and maid volunteer. They talk about indie development, his transition from art to programming, his inspirations, and the good old days of Newgrounds. Oh, man. The Flash Heaven. The Flash Heaven. Newgrounds was a treasure. It was, and it had some of the, the best games of the early 2000s, if I may say so myself. Mm-hmm. Um, like, ad- all of the games on Addicting Games... All the good ones came from Newgrounds, okay? Like, God, get with the picture. <laughs> this was this was a really interesting talk. I really liked uh, learning about Nedrick's process, uh, sort of his his whole transition. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it, it's very it's very interesting to hear and just to see. Yeah, he made a he made a poignant uh, statement. Uh, in one of it where he was like, it wasn't, in t- he thought he was just kind of like navigating this thing alone and while trying to do it. Cause he was like going from like C plus or sorry, uh, yeah, not C sharp, but going from all learning this program coming from a flash and animation perspective, uh, really opened his eyes to, Oh, other people are in the same boat of, trying to transition or like wanting to go do game development how they can so it was very interesting uh he said that about going to conventions and everything it's like oh everybody here is kind of in the same boat Mm -hmm. so you're not alone out there in your strive to become the next great developer well we're gonna get into that soon enough but first we've got uh a bit of news uh, first one is that we are fairly confident in saying that there is going to be a Dead Space remake. Uh, the sort of rumor has been floating around for a while. It seems to be a bit more, a bit more concrete now. Um, Classic of horror game. Dead Space 1 was a fantastic experience. It was absolutely horrifying in all the right ways. Um, and See, I'm, I'm not having played Dead Space. Was there a lot of like jump scare scares or just thematically terrifying events? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I like it, that. It was it was it was deeply unsettling. Good. That's how that's how a horror game should be. I need the existential dread. Yeah. Um. Uh. Not and not just the the immediate spike in my heart rate. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> I need I need the steady levels of raised <laughs> awareness. Yeah. But hopefully it'll be good, and it'll maybe the remake will get me into getting it again. Mm-hmm. And then apparently there's some uh, Capcom is doing Resident Evil perfumes. Yeah, so Capcom is offering three brands of Resident Evil perfume based on Leon, Jill, and Chris. Uh, hmm. No idea what they're going to smell like. Uh, whether it's going to be just sweaty, gross, covered in gore, man, or. Uh, you know something actually good but it seems like they've done this before they also have uh monster hunter perfume ace attorney perfume 
And Devil May Cry. Ace Attorney, I get, but Monster Hunter. <laughs> yeah, there are some yeah. lures in Monster Hunter that makes you wonder how it smells, and I can somehow accept this. And Ace Attorney is just good. Devil May Cry, awesome. But for Resident Evil, it's a little bit weird situation because I I don't sure people want to smell like the character inside or no. You know, well, hey, half-eaten zombie brain is the fragrance of the summer. Get with it, y'all. <laughs> Maybe you use it, and people say, "Hey, you smell like a rotten fish in the in the market," and you're just like, "Oh, that's great," because I used the Resident Evil perfume. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like I know it smells amazing, right? Yeah, it's like I'm in the game. <laughs> it's so realistic. It's so realistic. Thanks for noticing. Yeah. Uh. Well. Uh, I well we'll see how they go with that uh, I'm I mean I'm sure they're gonna sell out uh, I I don't think it's any worse than any other kind of like capitalizing vid- video game merch that's been don't out get there. me wrong it's a very fun collectible items well I'm I'm just kind of bummed that Ace Attorney hasn't released an official Ace Attorney gavel for judges. I mean, that would be the most sense-making thing to have all the judges in Japan have <laughs> an Ace Attorney gavel. Uh, uh but say so we'll see what goes on. Uh and the next so the next little bit of news, Netflix is reportedly working on live-action Pokemon series. Discuss. Thoughts. <laughs> I think that explains our thoughts on that already. <laughs> well, I mean, we were talking a little bit about this before we got into the We have talked about live-action films way, ma- way too many times before. Well, yeah. But the way to do a live-action thing is to do, like, a Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Keep the 2D sprite. Keep the 2D animation character and just place them in the real world. You don't need to do all... You don't need to make a a green screen world like Space Jam. uh, (laughs) And then just have one guy acting around a green screen world. So do you know it it is gonna be like the (laughs) Detective Pikachu one that they have um, special designs for Pokemon, or is it they're gonna redo it? I I hope they. Well, I mean, if the if the internet is the internet that I know, they will release a teaser of some newly designed character, and then. Beat them up online until they make it look like the actual Pokemon, like they did with Sonic. Uh, <laughs> the internet bullied a production studio into reanimating an entire character, like just throwing away hundreds and hundreds of hours of animation work that these people did. And it's like, oh, they don't like it. Gotta do it again. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, any live action thing I always hope that it would be ver- that it'll be fun and it'll be good but I also am starting to lean more towards oh you know this could just be kind of campy and fun to look at doesn't oh, need to uh, be taken super serious 
I wonder people try and make every live action game or every game into a live action show and make it super serious while taking the kind of you know fun elements of the game out but we'll see I wonder what happened if they let the director of the Resident Evil film to handle the Pokemon live action <laughs> like you see Pokemon running to fight army or something like that or there will be guns in Pokemon I have no idea there were guns in Pokemon do you remember I mean <laughs> yeah but like there, there's also going to be Pokemon like you're going to be seeing like up close and personal shots of Pokemon trauma centers like you're going to see like Pikachu with broken arms and like a bone sticking out you know it's going to be like okay. super yeah it's going to make you like think oh man maybe Pokemon fighting is animal abuse well listen um, <laughs> Lieutenant Surge fought in the war that's yeah. canon yeah what war just the, the war, war you know yeah the, he fought in the war it's the, Pokemon the they big only war. had one yeah the, po the big Pokemon wars yes fighting alongside pokemon they're my brothers they're not my f i don't own them we fought alongside together they just live in my pocket <laughs> like there's well, no way it's going to be that because it's still a kid's uh property but i would well, i would actually be very interested in seeing a like d dark dingy serious pokemon property so is this our is this our next youtube project as a team is this Absolutely what we're not. Be doing. All right. Okay. Well, I think it's about time we throw it on over to Alex and Ned for the er, marvelous talk about the transition from Flash, uh, Flash animation into making games. So you'll hear more of our mugs later. But for the important thing where you came to listen, here's Alex with Nedrick McLaren. And we're back with Nedrick McLaren. Welcome, Ned. Hey, what's going on? Uh, Ned, you've been a uh, volunteer at the MAID for a number of years and have helped teach and so forth. Uh, how did you find the museum? Um, I actually found out about the museum when I was at one of the GDC shows, and I think you had a booth up, and I came by, and I uh, was asking about what is this, uh, the MAID. Me and you went into the whole spiel of what the MAID is and what it does, and then I was like, hmm, interesting. And what were you doing at GDC? I was actually there um, presenting a game that I was uh, working on called Born Fighters at the time. So I went there to present that and also to, you know, find out about GDC because I've been to other events like, um, what is that, Seagraph. Uh, but then I decided, mm -hmm. let me try something else. So GDC was the next thing in line. And now, I mean... It you're definitely you've been an indie developer for a while is it your career or is it the side job or how do you make it fit in with your life um well i kind of shifted over to just being dev um after because my, my background is animation um 3d animation and uh, video editing so pretty much i wanted to take the next step of moving from um game development i mean sorry from animation to something else which was game dev and i said oh let me try it out and so i jumped into it with patrolling i mean not patrolling um uh, born fighters and uh, in flash actually and <laughs> that's where where i was actually navigating because basically I, I knew a lot about flash i was there when it first came up so i knew a lot of of ways to program in it but my background is not really heavily in programming it's more in animation that's an interesting shift to have made because Flash was an animation tool. Yep. 
but uh, as a as a development tool, I mean, it sort of broadened the ab- capabilities of what you were able to produce with it, right? Do, do you miss Flash? I still use it for all my uh, graphics. So pretty much any graphics that you see in any of my art or anything, I, I use Flash for that because pretty much you know, it's really good in terms of creating things. Um, uh, like if I compare it to Illustrator, I'm, I'm, I'm more comfortable using Flash to do, to actually start the work. And then I'll throw it over into Photoshop. I'll rarely touch Illustrator for anything because I call Illustrator and I put it together. But Flash, you know, it's a whole package. You know, you can animate, you can pre-read, pre-viz, and everything in there. So, does that mean you have an old machine running an ancient version of Flash somewhere? I do. <laughs> <laughs> what What exactly is that look like? What? Oh, it works well. It works well. Uh, pretty much because I get I, I pretty much just do all my art. Any every and art art anything I'm drawing. I draw it in there, and then I'll bring it over. I mean, is that running on a modern PC, or do you have to use an old computer for it? Or mm, No, I, I still have a Windows 7 and Windows 8 computer, so my Windows oh, 8 go. is where I do my work on. Gotcha. Uh, it's interesting what you find. A lot of artists, you know, when they find the tool they like, they want to stick to it, but in the software development world, that is really hard to do. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they, normally... you... they normally shut them down. But Adobe exactly. has has Flash, you know, there is Adobe Animate, but, you know, you have that whole uh, monthly subscription, which I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, so uh, why don't you tell us about what got you into the uh, world of making games? What inspired you to make games? <clears throat> well, firstly, I play a lot of games. Uh, not that much anymore because I've been working heavily on my game. So pretty much any <laughs> game playing has been put on the back burner until I finish up my work. But you know, you play games and you you you, you wanted to know what made them work. And you start analyzing it and you're like, oh crap, you know, you, I can actually do that. And you know, of course going to GDC, besides, you know, the whole avenue of me doing it, um, really helped uh push more ideas because basically you, you meet a lot of developers or indie developers and just, you know, you're able to pick your mind, you're like, oh wow, I'm not really alone in this avenue because you know you you don't really hear that much uh, when you were first starting off in college. Well, my time, because, you know, I'm a lot older than <laughs> most of the other people. Not older than you. But, um, <laughs> but, but the mere fact is that you, it was not something that you hear about a lot. You know, you might hear about animation. You, hear, you, see, you, know, you hear people do get, game that, but you think it's something that's beyond your reach. And especially mm. from my area where I'm not, I, I didn't learn, I, I learned programming because I, I needed to. Not, uh, and it was I couldn't you know can't afford a programmer so I learned it because I needed to do it so pretty much I learned it and then move on from there. Um, yeah, it it makes you an interesting sort of uh, uh, asset as it were, almost like a, a cartoonist that also draw or a comic book artist that also writes, for example. A very, it's not often that you hear about people moving from the art side to the programming side. It usually there's programmers art right going the other way. Mm-hmm. But it's cool. Uh, did, it, quite, I'm sorry. Oh, Oh, no, I was going to say, did you find it difficult to make the transition? Or, I mean, were there people out there could help you? Or do you feel unique and alone? It was, uh, it was difficult because at first I didn't know where to turn to. And um, so the whole aspect of learning everything on the go and uh, pretty much try, trying to figure out your way. And, of course, going to GDC, uh, I, I didn't know what term to consider myself. Because, you know, again, you, know, you try to figure out where pipeline you fit in. And then, you know, they're like, oh, you're, you're more like a technical artist because, you know, you're an artist that can program. I'm like, mm. yeah. And of course, but something suffers uh, um, down the line, depending. Because like, for example, 
if I'm focusing a lot on my programming, my art gets takes a hit because basically mm. now I'm not really drawing that much. I'm focusing more on the programming side or vice versa, depending on what I'm doing. So sometimes it's something suffers along the line, but it was, it was, it was a difficult thing, but after going to GDC and of course with YouTube and everything else, you find avenues to find, for example, the program I use right now, Game Maker. I, I knew about it, but I didn't know how to use it. And then of course, when you find videos like on Udemy and YouTube and people explain to you how it works and you're like, oh, okay, let's go. Yeah, that's an interesting example because Game Maker, um, when it originally was out there, it had this whole scripting language and nobody documented it. The guy who created it didn't even document his own scripting language and people mm. were making stuff in it without any kind of documentation at all. Splunky, I believe Splunky was made before the documentation for Game Maker actually showed up. Oh, wow. And then uh, this guy, this ex-Microsoft guy, Sandy, and a bunch of people like acquired the company and the first thing they did were like, you know, we should probably put some documentation out stuff. <laughs> Just unbelievable that you can even produce a software tool without documentation people were able to use it that's that's just the power of games right like yeah what is it you like about game maker um easy use because from transition from flash to that well depending on which language of flash you refer to because basically flash there was a scripting uh action script 2 and then action stream was more of a programming side so coming from from flash and knowing uh, both scripting, then jumping straight into Game Maker, and then just learning the logic. Once you learn the logic, basically, once you learn the logic of programming, anything else would apply. So going straight into Game Maker, it was easier because it wasn't, it wasn't C plus mm. plus. Yeah, oh, sorry, C sharp. It wasn't C sharp, and so you know, it's mm. like it's so it was easy to jump into. So it was more like okay, I can definitely understand this much easier. I can code something quickly, and pretty much the lingo, and you know, depending on depending on the lecturer. Like the lecturer who explained how it works was really good. So once I understood what he was referencing in the terminology and then the, the libraries, I was like, oh, okay, I, I got it. And so, you know, some people use the drag and drop feature. I don't, because basically, you know, you want to learn, you, you, if you want to really do the heavy lifting, you, you have to learn the programming side. So learning mm -hmm. that really helped a lot. And then it made it, you know, as I'm, I'm still learning more things, because there are things that I'm like, wait, oh, okay, that's a faster way to do something. And once I learned the, uh, the key functionality of it, it, it made it so much simpler. And a lot, a lot of people say to use, uh, go, uh, forgot the, there's another one, uh, Godot or something like that. And yeah, I may uh, it's, it, go to it one day, but not yet. I mean, they're very powerful tools, but it's that very, you know, the graphic user interface is sort of what the appeal is for getting people started. Once you start using just the scripting language inside of it, is there still the time savings over C plus plus? I mean, or C sharp, or any of those other things? It's it's uh, mm, if you're a heavy duty programmer, obviously you're probably going to be using more robust tools than Game Maker. Uh, for me, it's easier because uh, that's what. I, and the funny thing is that I I'm comfortable working with three uh, Game Maker of one point four. There is a version two, but the GUI interface is a lot different, and that's a big turnoff for me for version two. So I still I still do all my work in 1.4 and then convert it. Well, uh, for patrolling right now, maybe when I do another game, I'll I'll do everything in two because basically I don't like switching programs in between a project because oh no, things never, break. Never. Yeah. So I don't want to break anything. So I do all the work in 1.4 and then just do a conversion into that, two that's, and push it out. That's perhaps maybe the most important message of the day is never switch tools mid project. Yep. Yeah. 
Right. You, you break things. Absolutely. And you, you slow yourself down. I mean, the most powerful tool for anybody is the one that they're fast in, you know? Like, the reason you use Flash. Okay. So, uh, I'm wondering if you could talk about Patrolin and what inspired you wanted to, to want to make this game, and how has the process of development been for you? Um, well, patrolling is actually based on the web series that my brother and I created uh, a few years back. So we actually did uh, like the patrolling web series. So it's about four episodes long. It would have been longer, but that's a different story. But once we created that whole thing, it was it's it was um, we call it a hip opera because I saw um, uh, like an early in the early days of YouTube, there was this uh, thing called the Predator Hip Opera. And that was hilarious. And after I saw that, I said to myself, you know what, let's actually do something that ties in my animation knowledge with my brother's music knowledge. So then we created the patrolling and it was just pretty much supposed to be a one off. And then once he did the first one, I was like, okay, we got something here. So we created like, you know, four part series. Um, and it was fun. And after I did that, I said, you know what, well, you know, because, uh, you know, my brother and I went off on different ventures. So I was like, okay, how am I going to bridge everything together to make, you know, try to complete it? So I started to, you know, rough up uh, the patrolling game and, you know, came up with some ideas. You know, it took a while to actually finalize how it's going to work. And then once I got the formula working just about right, and then pulled in one of my good buddies who was a writer, you know, you know and so I said, hey, you know, I'm going to have to hire you. How much it costs? Blah, blah, boom. And, you know, I made him rewrite the, the synopsis for the game. And he wrote up a good, a good draft and everything. And um, it, it worked. And once I had that, and then I could then storyboard the, the whole game. But, um, but the game is actually split into two, which I'll explain even further. But um, mm. it's a whole thing. You know, it's a, it, uh, just coming from that web series to the animation was a big, big process itself. Uh so how did you and your brother become so artistic? He, he's the musician, you're the artist. What, what inspired you guys growing up? Uh, a lot of cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> now, anime or American cartoons? Uh, well, uh, I would say Japanese animation for me. For my, bro uh, my brother, you know, we, we watch a lot of cartoons um, in general. Um, but the funny thing is, growing up, we didn't know the difference between Japanese animation and what are an American animation where you're just watching stuff and then of course you know as you get older you're like oh more Japanese animation okay but still you know like just watching animation as a whole is what pretty much um, got me into more of going to art school you know like um and then doing all that stuff and playing games and everything else mm -hmm. uh now when you were growing up since you did have a brother did were there any like two-player games that you just couldn't stop playing and like that Oh uh, yeah, you know we play Street Fighter a lot. Street, of course. Oh, and Killer Instinct a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, excellent stuff. But yeah, those were you know the and pretty much you know like we grew up wait since it was like just two of us at the time you know we have three three of us now, but um at the time when we you know in our young age, um we we play mostly two player games you know like Mario whichever or you know Donkey Kong Country pretty much you know those because my you know my parents were more of you know, going to play a single player game. Of course, when I grew up and I had my own life, I bought my PlayStation, had my own, you know, RPG games I can play by myself solo and so forth. Yeah, it sounds like you had a Super Nintendo growing up. I did. I did. And I, I, I couldn't afford the NES at the time. Or actually, my parents were not buying no NES at the time. 
Uh, can you explain sort of the, the mood when the SNES arrived in the house? Uh, it, it, well, you know, it was a weird mood because basically your family were like, well, you know, you play too much games and all this, you know, so it wasn't a, hey, we're buying this from, this is, if you're off, or, you know, you're out of school, you play the game kind of a thing. So it was a different kind of a mood, but it was more of uh, entertaining because, you know, again, you have now a gaming system that, you know, everyone mm -hmm. else had or whichever or have and you move forward from there but then of mm -hmm. course the playstation was the big jump you know for me after that yeah certainly again with this, those single player games i mean the, the rpgs on the playstation what, mm -hmm. what are some of your favorite games um let's see You're, are you talking about currently or well whatever anything what comes to mind when i say that um well the one game that jumps right into my head right away would be i would say Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight for me was oh. like, I, I, you know, I, I bought that game. I can't even tell you how many times I, I spent money. But I, I bought, I, I have a collector's edition. I have the, the Switch edition. I have the Xbox edition. I have a, a, the a second collector's edition that's not open. So pretty much, you know, I supported that, that, that uh, game because basically that and uh, Hyperlight Drifter. Um, mm. There are other games too because I like, you know, I like to support indies because, you know, pretty much, you know, you look back at the indie crowd and I'm a big supporter of if there's any project that I like, I'll support it over a AAA more than anything. See, those are absolutely spectacular choices. I, I love both of those games. I've, I've beaten both of them. But what I would say about Hollow Knight is that didn't that start as a Flash game too? I, it did. It did. You know, when I tracked back, I was like, oh my God. You know, and that's the thing. Like, even for even going back, going back to the whole Flash game um, on Newgrounds, because Newgrounds was a big area where I, I dumped all of my animation or mm. any test idea, even the patrolling game. Uh, so the patrolling is on there, and I think Born Fighters is there too. But then, mm. um, you know, that, that, that group, you know, they created um, Alien Hobbit. And of course, that mm -hmm. was a big thing too. Once I saw Alien Hobbit and I saw that group made that game, I think that was the big push to say, you know what, I can probably make a game. You know, let me see what I can do. And I know it's a team that made it, but let me see what I can actually attempt to do. And I think doing... Um, Born Fighters was the biggest leap because basically I incorporated a lot more than what it, in terms of like my animation in that because I you know it was a fighting game, I made like probably six characters, and you know you know I hand animated everything for all the characters mm. and the movesets and everything, and I learned a lot from that. And then I learned you need a team. Don't screw around, mm. especially if it's a big project. Try to get a team together if you can. Um, because that was a, that I think that was way harder to do because of my first game than to do patrolling. Patrolling, you know, I learned a lot, but I learned a crap ton from doing uh, Born Fighters. I mean, a fighting game, the animation requirements alone would be a full time job. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, so well, we should probably talk about Newgrounds. I don't think we've touched on it in the in the podcast. That was a remarkable sort of community, and I mm -hmm. think it gets sort of a bad rap because it was tied up to the, the something awful in 4chan worlds, you know. But the stuff that came out of there was truly world changing in a lot of regards. Oh no, great! No, uh, Newgrounds was a great area, you know, because basically it's where you could then you could showcase your work. You can get ideas, you know. You can still you can get people for music and sound and everything else. So it it gives you a lot of uh experience and you know like you get critiqued and people are very brutal and that's where i learned you know just if someone's critiquing your work just you know just say thank you and let it go 
you know don't mm. try to battle it because we and because they they will definitely tear you apart on that page but yeah. you learned a lot from you know because there's people that will give you pointers um you get good feedback you know and especially at the time when it was in its heyday it, there was just so much different animation going on there that so many people that are actually doing great right now started there you know and and, and even if you go back there today you still see you know a lot of new new faces putting up new things using new tools and really doing well you know depending on how you look at it yeah it's a it's a great story it's one of those crucibles that you see through history where there's like a, a place where a lot of famous or you know successful people come out of some chat rooms or like that and, mm -hmm. uh music collaboration places in the 60s for kraut rock and so newgrounds really was this this proving ground as it were mm -hmm. do you still keep in touch with anybody from there uh, I did one or two people um, that I, I, I link up with, but it's just because I'm not there all the time. I've been focusing more on the gaming side of things. I was just working on my game. So it's it's still a rough, especially even when I was look, I, when I was trying to find someone to do the music for the game. Um, I went there first because basically I know mm. that they had a good sound area and, you know, the music was good, but it just didn't match up with what I wanted for the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was your brother not available to do the music? Um, well, not for this, because he, you know, he does yeah. more of like vocals and things like that. I, I needed someone uh, who's actually a musician per se or a composer. And gotcha. um, so, I have a cousin that does com compositions, but he was not available for that. So, I was able to find someone on itch. Actually, I can't even say itch. It was bef uh, humble bundle. I found this person on humble bundle. I heard one <laughs> of his, his tracks, and I was like, huh. Then I reached out to him and connected to him on itch.io. And mm. pretty much from there, grab you know was able to connect him. You know um, his name is Joel Stoodler, and mm. uh, you know he, he you know really did great. He had great tracks and things that I really felt would work well for the game. So if people are interested in patrolling, uh, you mentioned it was on Newgrounds, but what should they do if they want to check this game out? Well, the the older version is on Newgrounds. If they need to actually get the game, it's actually on um, the the Google Play Store right now. They go to uh, Google Play and just look at patrolling. Uh, um, WTH, what the hell? <laughs> um, they will actually find that game. And the funny thing is the, the game, what you're seeing there is actually the second working of that game. The first, the, the main game is actually, a, has a story and everything. And, I, and the funny, funny enough, how I came about with this version of patrolling was an accident. I was just doing something. And then, you know, the enemies were just attacking harder. I was like, hmm. And I wonder if people will like just survival version while I work on the main game. And mm -hmm. so I decided to split the game into two. And so I just said, okay, I'm just going to make one thing that's just survival just to get it out there so people can actually get a taste of the game. And then I'll still, and you know, give it, give it to a casual mode for you know, people who are not into crazy shoot them up parts and just want to just relax and play. And then of course the other sections are just hard. Um, and then the main game is one with a story, which is of course way e it's a little it's a, it's right between the casual and hard kind of a thing, but it has more fluff and pretty much a, uh, that's where the story element is. So mm. that's why I had to break it into two because it was just it was a lot of work just trying to get everything right, and I think breaking it into two helped a lot for my mind. Well, Ned, thanks for showing up today on the podcast and taking the time, and good luck on patrolling. No worries. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks again for having me here, Alex.
Thank you, and thanks for all the work you've done for the museum over the years. Ah, uh, yes, it was great. Oh, speaking of which, the museum was also the greatest source of where I got a lot of feedback and just looking at, you know, just watching the, the kids grow up learning programming. That was a very, very big inspiration. And even just seeing the whole showcase of the content that you guys had there, you know, like just the, the game contents and, and different uh, people that came through with me things, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, can't, you have a different feeling when you left that place. So. Um, yeah, well, we're yeah. working hard to bring it back, and someday, hopefully, we can put your son through the. Uh, oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Ned. No worries. Thanks again, Alex. Bye. Have a good day. Thanks. We're back. Okay. Sorry, little little peek Meow. there. In you. Yeah. Little little peek on the recording. I always have difficult week. fixing that peek, so you better <laughs> just make it, it smaller. Yeah, you can just pop it out. I mean, we're back. Here's a second one for you. That was a little, that wasn't quite a peak. So <laughs> secondary, we're good. So thank you, Ned, for your talk about everything else. And thank you, Alex, for bringing him on to give us the info and the lowdown about the animation side of things and trying to transform it and trying to get over, as well as hearing how Ned started up and how he got to, what his influences were. Um, mm -hmm. so they met, he also mentioned that he played uh street fighter and was also just a fan of like cartoons and animation. And for the longest time, didn't realize that there was a difference between Jap Japanese animation and American animation, but they just ended up watching cartoons. So that, I thought that was pretty interesting. And for him to play street fighter, I think that's like a perfect combination of everything that was going on. I think that combines those two interests very well because it is like it is a game that's essentially a cartoon cartoon fighting game mm -hmm. but with Japanese animation like all the sprites I mean Chrono Trigger was I'm sure a that's the the staple of the time when you get Toriyama to do all your art for a game and then make the biggest fighting anime franchise well, bam. But uh, if you want to go check out Ned's, uh, some of Ned's games, uh, you can check out Born Fighters. Uh, you can, like, Google that and check that out. It's a flash fighting game. Uh, looks very, very fun. I highly recommend everybody checking that out when you get a chance. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also uh, Portals. Uh, I may be saying that wrong. I need to go check that out again. But you can check out uh, his, uh, him and his brothers. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus, animated web series. If you want to go check that out. Um, but what have you all been playing? What's been going on? What like what games have been piquing everybody's interest? Is there anything new, or has it just been the same uh, kind of thing? Well, actually, um, I got my hands on a... Well, I got to play a PlayStation 5 for the first time over the weekend. Oh. Um, and I got to test out uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, the PS5 controller wasn't everything I thought it would be. Um, uh, as far as like the adaptive triggers, I thought they would mm -hmm. have a little bit more resistance to them. Um and maybe that's Here's... just personal preference, but um, yeah, it didn't really seem like 
too much of a whole game changer. I I thought the same thing as well initially, but like the trigger adaptive, it, I when I was playing it originally, I was like, oh, I'm only just pressing this far of a way down. But then once the game turned off and I felt how far the triggers actually go back, I'm like, oh, it is a it, it is a little bit adaptive. It's I did try like shooting a bow on Dark Souls or Demon Souls rather. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where it uh, clicked a little bit better hmm. for how it goes because it got progressively stronger the more you pulled down. I where. See. Yeah, like the more you pulled down and like the longer you held it, it, the more pressure it would put back on you. And I thought, mm. hmm. otherwise, I, I also got a, uh, it's a, it's a meaty controller for my meaty hands, and I appreciate that. It's, but it's, I mean, it's no, it's no original Xbox, con, uh, console size controller, but it's a meaty size console as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it is. It's it's as big as like it's bigger than some PC towers. Uh, certainly bigger than many many steam machines that I've seen out there. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a heck and chonker. It's a big boy. <laughs> I have. Uh, I've, I don't have too much problem with the. PS5 controller, maybe just because it's I never use it on PS5 because I don't have one, but I do mm-hmm. have the controller. Maybe just because of that, the those fantastic function was usually not used in the game I was using it to play. So I guess that's mm-hmm. probably why. Well, there are a couple newer games on P. I forget the exact names of these games but there's like two or three games that have recently come out on pc that also use the adaptive trigger capabilities um so that's something to check out if you have the controller i recently upgraded to the nintendo pro controller which i do oh you do very much i have it i have it i've been playing breath of the wild more with it great and I, again if you didn't know, it's a pretty good game. Um, I, I would recommend it. Uh, there, it. There's, you know, there's a couple things with it, but overall, it's a, you know, a positive experience. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm actually, I'm having a huge blast with it. I just, uh, I was doing a lot of exploring because that's how I play these kind of games. Just wandering around. How's the progress of the game? What have you been doing? Uh, getting some shrines. I've been trying to like get the towers. Uh, unlocked so i can see more of the map and not be shrouded in shadow but i also kept getting it it only took me until yesterday to realize what i was doing wrong when i was exploring (laughs) like thundercloud prone areas i thought i had removed every piece of metal but apparently i didn't so that's why i was still getting death shocked (laughs) and it was also like amazing for that to happen immediate like it would save my game, it would death shock me, and then it would reload right into immediate shocking. And I'm like, why? <laughs> I took off everything. Uh, boomerangs that are metal also attract lightning, so unequip that. Uh, that's my lesson to all of you out there. Um, but the gameplay is super fun. I need to get a little bit more technical with fighting some of the things that are stronger. 
that are stronger levels, but we'll get there. So far, I really love the story and the freedom that you have around the world. It's a gorgeous game. I really like it's. <coughs> it still feels like a game, which is something that a lot of other things don't really feel like at the moment. Mm-hmm. Or, it, well, some things try to. What I'm trying to say is, some things try to go too realistic, and then it just looks kind of weird. But Breath of the Wild went full on into their design aesthetic while still looking like I it's a in world. A, in a quite a good balance between how realistic mm-hmm. and how is it to be fun. Yeah, I think that the the realistic part that I really enjoy is like the physics engine involved and the weather. Those I think m- make immersion so much better than explicitly like high detail graphics. Uh, I I love it. I love it. I recommend it. Go figure. <laughs> One of the best games of a few years ago is a good game. And I'm playing it just in time for Breath of the Wild 2, mm-hmm. which will be three, four years from now. <laughs> well, maybe maybe next year. Hopefully. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. We'll see. But is that about time? I think it's about time, y'all. It's about that time. Uh, well, we want to thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, shoot us an email at info at themade.org. We'd like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our patron supporters who keep the maid afloat. Patron donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming service. And we will continue that with future episodes every week. Till then, I'm Chin. I'm Red. I'm Anthony. And I'm Miles. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Later, gamers. I know it. There's going to be a supercut. There's going to be a supercut. Oh, I'm going to cut it. <laughs>